Do you like a little magic in your books? Is your reading reality a fantasy lost in the stars? Then you've come to the right podcast. I'm Lauren, and I love reading fantasy and sci-fi. So I'm taking it to the next level. Join me as I interview best-selling fantasy and sci-fi authors and industry pros on their beloved stories. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Indiana Jones and Lara Croft in Space. This is the quick pitch to describe the new unearthed duology by best-selling authors and best friends, Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner. You know them from their previous sci-fi trilogy together, starting with These Broken Stars, and for other books, including Amy's collaboration with Jay Kristoff on The Illuminae Files and Meg's Beauty and the Beast retelling Hunted. We dig into their new space duology, which includes Unearthed and the second book, Undying, which is out January 22nd. We delve deep into what it's like working with your best friend, keeping tension alive in a story, why opposites attract, and more. They are simply delightful people, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited you're here. I am a fan of your work together, separately, and so it's exciting for me that you guys kind of came back together and wrote this duology, and I can't wait to talk about it. So for those listening to the podcast who are fans of yours, maybe, but haven't read this series yet, because we're, we're, we're talking about this right when the second book in the duology is coming out, but I kind of want to talk broader today because some really cool stuff happens in book one that also affects book two. So people who have read it can get something out of this interview, hopefully, and those who haven't. So I want to kind of talk about the beginning of this book or the broad strokes of this duology. How would you pitch it to people if you're like, oh, we wrote these two books and here's what it's about? <laughs> well, the, the the quick pitch is one we actually came up with before we ever even started writing the books. And that's that it's like Indiana Jones and Lara Croft from Tomb Raider join forces in space. Wow, that's could not be a better description. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we enjoy yeah. that. That was almost the first thing we had, in fact. Mm-hmm. Before anything else, before a title, before before any part of the story. Yeah, we had that pitch, which is funny because that's usually the part that we and a lot of other authors struggle with yes. is reducing a book down to one sentence. But but we had that almost immediately. Well, God, it must have been so fun writing and creating a book around that. So take us into that. Like now that you're saying that was the, the starting point, because there's a million cool ways you could go with that. What was that like? Like, tell us about the creation, I guess, of this of this awesome story. Well, I mean, the idea sort of begins in a hotel room in New York. Actually, <laughs> we were uh, we were on tour together, and any author who's on tour will tell you that it's sort of three hours a day of awesome, of hanging out with readers and having an amazing time, and then like twenty one hours a day of just trying not to catch a cold and find food <laughs> in airports. Yeah. So you know, when you get an evening off, it's you know, you'd love to be like, we're in New York, the city that never sleeps. Let's catch a show. Let's go to a museum. No. We were we're in this incredible hotel room, like right near a park and right near all these amazing restaurants. We were like, no room service, television, pajama pants. Yeah. It was, it was matter of survival. (laughs) So, so we're doing that and we're, we had been having a conversation about what to write next. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we, it's sort of one of those like, you know, you know what when you see it things. We knew yeah, we like making lists that. of making lists of things that we like and, and trying combining them in different ways and, and seeing how that went. And we, we hadn't really found something that really grabbed us yet. 
Yeah, so so we're kicking this, this night. We're not doing that. It's our night off. We're kicking back, and we find an Indiana Jones marathon on TV, which is <laughs> out and like we don't so. even have to talk about it. We don't have to be like, yeah. let's watch this. No, it was like throw the remote away. We're done. This is the rest of our night. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect uh-huh. night. Yep, exactly. But because it's on TV, it's got ad breaks in it, and in the ad breaks, we start talking. And this is sort of the part of the story that's slightly <laughs> embarrassing because we start saying things like, "Why aren't there any?" Like, why aren't there YA books that feel like Indiana Jones? Like, what's wrong with YA authors? It's like the perfect thing. It is. Yeah. And I think in this moment, we were sort of talking as readers rather Mm -hmm. than writers. So it took us an embarrassingly long time, like most of a movie. Yeah, it was like an hour and a half. (laughs) Yeah. And then eventually we kind of look at each other and go, oh, no, hang on. But wait a minute. We are on, we, we could we we could maybe do that. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm laughing because it's so true because how often do we not even it like hits us in the face. So I mean I've done that mm-hmm. in my own business. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh that's so stupid. And I'm like, wait, why don't I just do that? That's so dumb. I'm so dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like so Yeah, like and there's so much there's so much out there that is good to read that sometimes you forget the little gaps and the little niches where you can sort of fill in the stuff that you really want to read. And you took it really well, or took it to a really good place, I guess I should say, because it it is very Tomb Raider and very Indiana Jones, but it's teenagers. <laughs> so yeah. they're not these like adult, sexy, seasoned, experienced, even though they have experiences, it's like they're also still teenagers doing teenage things kind of like emotionally and also, you know, having doubts. And so, it, I mean, it was really fun to read this crazy adventure these these two main characters went on and still feel like it was firmly within YA and the the fun emotional drama that comes with that as well. Yeah, I mean, our first series, the Starbound series, takes place in such a far future world that the teenagers in those series don't feel as recognizable and as similar to, you know, the teenagers that you encounter today or the teenagers who are reading YA today. And so one of the things that we really wanted to do with Unearthed and with Undying even more was make the characters feel familiar, feel like teenagers, feel like people you would go to high school with. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we all have to think about a lot in YA because, you know, most of us are not 17. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to, you know, I mean, we we have our own doubts and uncertainties and questions and things we worry about now. So the sensation of being unsure about something or anxious about something or confused by something still with us as we get older. And that's why so many adults like reading YA. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I once heard Sarah Reese Brennan say that, and I told her that I said to her, I quote you all the time. And she said, did I say that? That's very clever. (laughs) But she said that young adult literature is the literature of transformation. And whether Mm -hmm. it's our first day at school or our first day picking our kids up at school, and not knowing anyone or whether it's our first relationship or our first relationship after a divorce or you know whatever's happening we're always remaking ourselves so isn't she clever that is very clever and it's poignant because I when I describe why I read YA as a firmly in adult category person at the age now it's it's because of that you know when we're when we're teenagers even though things are not simpler they are and I love how much weight can go to something so little like a touch or a kiss it's Mm -hmm. I don't feel like you have that 
as much as an adult just in life. I mean, you do, you get tingles and there's the first meetings of people I'm thinking of romantically, but also just, you know, like you're saying experiences, but that's when it's, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a young adult. So you're having these adult issues, but you're still f- experiencing these things for the first time. So it's, it's this wonderful ride. <laughs> yeah. When you're a teenager, everything is new. Everything is a, is a first. Um, and getting to unpack that in a book is, is really fun. Well, one of my notes here is I love, love, love how realistic you had both of these characters in regards to each other, like neither of them. So for those of you listening who haven't read the first book, basically, we start off with our two main characters, our girl is kind of like a scavenger on this alien island trying to island alien planet trying to get um, something so that she can sell to raise money and then our guy is a scientist trying to discover more about this alien race basically and they meet up and have to go save each other and things and the story progresses that way well and i think the important thing to add she thinks he has his head up his ass because he's all about you know discovery and not about money and she's like cool but we need money (laughs) to live and he and, thinks that she is basically destroying everything and a symbol of everything that's wrong with humanity because all she wants is money. And so. he's from Oxford with an Oxford accent as she jokingly teases him and he's she calls she hears his, mm-hmm. you know, upper crust British accent and and she's from like middle America. So it's but all of that aside, when they first see each other, they're like, damn, you hot to each other, you know, like or in their own heads. And they keep trying to ignore it. And I was like, this is so reality because I don't know a single human who doesn't notice a hot person in the room yeah. with them. No, it doesn't, of course. You don't, it doesn't mean you want to like, you're, you go down that trail necessarily to what could happen with this person. It's just like, dang, that person is really attractive. And then you don't notice it and you're annoyed by them. And then they take their shirt off and you're like, oh my God, I forgot how hot you are. And then or whatever, <laughs> you know, like it made me laugh because right. I felt very believable that both of them were, it wasn't, it wasn't like they were brooding on it necessarily, um, it, but it was just like they kept noticing each other and it definitely made me laugh a lot. There's a big difference between insta-lust and insta-love and insta-lust I think happens a lot more often. Oh yeah, totally. Yes. People complain about insta-love and that's not what they're seeing. What they're seeing is insta-lust and yeah, like my says, we've, we, we, everyone i'm an old married lady but super hot guy walks into the room i'm going to notice well, yeah I'm not you're not dead. dead exactly it doesn't matter if who you, if you're taken or single or what i mean it's just part of being a human is to notice beauty and however you react to that so yeah i i, I felt very and i actually made a note pretty early on like i love that they both were like holy crap this other person's really hot even though they are both idiots and i hate what they're standing for and you're annoying me it didn't feel forced. It felt very believable to me. Sorry, if anything, the hotness is an inconvenience. It, I completely agree because they're both like, it's kind of working against their ultimate goals. And I kind of want to talk more about our, our two main characters, Jules and Mia. They, they kind of evolve together in this really interesting way into book two. I mean, it's throughout the first story too, but like they're so opposite. They're from totally different sides of the world, socioeconomically and obviously with gender and their upbringings and just their lives are completely different. But at the same time, there's so much similar about them. How was that creating these characters that blend and counterbalance each other? Because they, they have enough in common that that I think is what draws them together and makes them connect in a deeper level, but yet they're very, very different. Talk to us, I guess, about 
creating these awesome characters. Oh gosh, you make us sound very clever and deliberate. <laughs> well, I think I one of the things of- that works for us when we're creating characters is that Amy and I are extremely different. Exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> so obviously also slightly the same. Okay, good. This is one of my lead-in questions. <laughs> yeah, we're really, really different. Amy's a lot more extroverted. I'm a lot more introverted. She's a lot more optimistic. I'm a lot more pessimistic. She outlines her stories. I write by the seat of my pants. We're opposites in so many ways. Um, but we became best friends and very quickly and very easily became best friends. Almost in that way, small children in kindergarten <laughs> become friends, where they yeah. like meet, size each other up, and then go like, friends, yeah? Yeah, friends. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. And that was over 10 years ago that we first met yeah. online. And yeah, I mean, I think the fact that we're so different uh, kind of opened our eyes to the fact that some of the best relationships, whether it's family relationships or friend relationships or romantic relationships, are really built around that whole principle of opposites attracting. And, uh, you know, she and I are stronger as writers together. So we write a lot of characters who are stronger together. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, we're stronger as friends together as well, because if one of us has got an issue or is having a crisis or whatever, the other one isn't going to come in and just completely confirm what they think. They're going to come in and ask questions and make suggestions that the first one wouldn't have thought of because we have these different approaches. Because, you know, I'm sitting here at my computer surrounded by highly detailed to-do lists and and not. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Meg's just come back from holidays. Meg's like, oh, God, there's a lot of email in there. Oh, God. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. What do we do? So in, in Meg's defense, this is probably not a, not a great time to tease Getting a little it. close to home. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if I'm panicky about something, Meg will always come at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And that's good because it reminds me that my view of it is not absolute. And this thing that I'm saying, yeah. this is a disaster because X, X is not necessarily the given that I think it is. Yeah. And it might not even be the disaster I think it is. Yeah, I think often, I think creative people in general sometimes get a little tunnel vision when they're working by themselves. And, and you kind of fall back on your own sort of arsenal of tricks, if you will. And uh, having two of us in the same story means that we've got double the arsenal. That's interesting because, Amy, you were like, you make us sound so clever. But the final result feels that way because obviously it's it's coming natural. I mean, I know books are work and I'm not saying they just pour out of you perfect mm-hmm. or anything. But this balance obviously is is a reflection of how you guys are in your own personal lives and as people and as writers. So it's I mean, that actually answers the question perfectly because I noticed it in your Starbound trilogy and, you know, good counteracting characters. And it's very obvious in this duology as well. And it's well done. So I I love that. I actually love that kind of side tangent, but it's same in, in the same topic. You guys wrote three books together, took a break, kind of did other stuff and then came back. Did you find that the writing style writing this duology was similar to how you had done it before? Or did you change it up a bit working together? Well, we didn't actually take a break. Uh, The slightly longer period between the publishing of Unearthed and the publishing of the previous book, Their Fractured Light, it was just due to publishing schedules. Uh, We started writing Unearthed, you know, right after we finished writing Their Fractured Light. Okay. Well, so then it wasn't like, because again, you're right on our end. It was like, you guys have all these other other things in between. So, okay. So it just kind of kept the, the routine going, I guess. Well, right. And our publisher said, you know, we're looking at, at publishing at this particular time. 
what would you think about having that extra time to write the book? And we felt <laughs> since we were moving into a new series, we were like, we, we would love like, yes, that please. <laughs> yeah. We will take that extra time to write mm -hmm. the book. That sounds great. Thank you very much. That said, I mean, writing Unearthed was slightly different from writing the Starbound trilogy just because we had written three books together at that point. There was a lot about it that was easier, but there was some stuff about it that was harder too. Mm. I mean, easier because we we know each other's writing so well and even better now than we did when we started These Broken Stars, uh, but harder because, you know, you, you work to make sure that everything stays fresh and that you're doing something new and that you're not falling back on tropes that you kind of already explored or that you're not getting bored or stagnant with what you're doing. Got you. Yeah. You know, I remember at Meg's and my, it wasn't Meg's very first public event because she'd already published book before um, these broken stars came out, but at our very first joint public event, uh, which was in LA and Margaret Stoll and Marie Lou very kindly, neither of whom needed to be doing an event at that time, but they came out to kind of came show to us help the ropes us, yeah. and, you know, show us, you know, to be on a panel with us and just show us how it was done, which is, you know, the YA community right down to the ground. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I've never forgotten one of the questions that um, Margie asked was she said that she finds most authors in, in their work tend to have a theme that they come back to over and over. And they don't always know it at first, but they always figure it out eventually. And it just hit something in me, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Because what Meg and I come back to over and over, including on the series we're working on now, is characters from two different worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So what absolutely. we're always writing about. And what that means, though, is if you do have something like that that you keep exploring, you have to make sure you keep doing it differently. Mm -hmm. You can't just rewrite the same. Because there are a lot of questions about that. But, you know, if you've already done something and you've learned how to do it, you've made a little groove in your brain that it would be easy to follow again. So you have to really ask yourself, what am I doing this time that's different? And what am I doing this time that will take the story to, you know, some other place? And so that's where you need the extra time when you're starting something like Unearthed. Gotcha. Because yeah. we're better at writing together now, but we have to, you know, develop it. Yeah, I mean, structurally, our books are very similar in that they're told from two points of view and they're told from alternating chapters so that you get each character's perspective on each other and on, on the goings on. And so we kind of set ourselves up to have this sort of similar format, but then, you know, drastically different characters, drastically different types of stories. Um, and this one we knew after all of the um, sort of complex plotting and, you know, everything in the Starbound trilogy comes back on itself. Like you find all of these things in the last book that are mentioned throughout and kind yep. of tie together. Mm -hmm. And it was very complex and it was really hard. And there was a lot about it that was wonderful, but a lot about it that was a struggle. And so we right. wanted to do something that was going to be really, really fun. We just wanted yeah. to do fun. Oh my gosh. Both of these books, like you hit the ground running and you don't stop. And it is like, they're like questy and like really weird stuff is happening and then you don't know who's the good and bad and then there's these like cliffhangers and then holy crap what just happened and oh my gosh like so good I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more because really good just writing tension because a lot of times you know I could see there being a struggle with going from A to B or you know like working their way through the the temple in the first book there it's very in it's very Raiders of the Lost Ark it is you know like <laughs> there's different puzzles and you could die if you step on the wrong stone or you have to read different languages it's very yes very Indiana Jones in a very cool way but at the same time you still managed to keep it feeling fresh and like tension it wasn't just like and now they're in this new room with this new puzzle and now they're doing this 
I guess is writing tension into the story something that you guys struggle with? Does it just come naturally? Because the books kind of have this taut wire kind of the whole time, I noticed. I think Meg's better at it than I am, for sure. <laughs> and I have learned over time from Meg to do it. Meg's, Meg's inclination is to just throw disaster after disaster oh. after disaster at the characters. <laughs> Your poor characters are like, oh my god, I hate this girl. Well, when you no, don't know what's going to happen, you know, try time. to figure out what the absolute worst possible thing you could do to your characters is going to be. I mean, you might pull back from that and not actually go there right away, but it can help you figure out, you know, every time you think you've hit rock bottom, like, you don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, because that's what you want. You want by the end of you know, by sort of somewhere at the end of the second act or coming into the third act, you want stuff to be happening that makes you look back at the first things that happened at the start of the book. Yes. But at this time, you were going, oh, no, and go, oh, my sweet summer child. Like, you don't even know what's in store for you. Yes. But it's also like you write it in such a good arc because, you know, literally as you're saying that, I'm thinking there's a there's a scene towards the beginning of first of the first book. They have to, like, steal a little bike to get to where they need to go. And it's very right. dramatic because there's these potential bad guys who will catch them. And what if they get caught? And and yeah, you but it was written in a in a tense manner. But then you're right. It's nothing compared to holy crap. What <laughs> happens at the end of the book, which, oh, my gosh, um, there's always this back and forth yeah, between Meg, who's like, what about putting this forward? Another disaster. And I'm like, what about counterpoint? Everyone has a nice time. So which is obviously not what you actually want to be happening. But it's funny, when we first started writing together, I was always the person being like, what if we killed this character? And Amy's <laughs> like, what if they kissed each other and like lived happily ever after? <sighs> and I remember toward the end of the Startbound trilogy, and while we were writing Unearthed and Undying, we started like trading places. So every uh -huh. now and then, Amy would come up with like the most horrible thing like shocking even me and I'd be like oh but I just I just want them to like be happy and, <laughs> and together so we've kind of balanced each other out in that regard I think yeah I find it a lot easier these days to come up with disaster after disaster after disaster so you know that's nice and that's one of the wonderful things about these, I think, quest books in general is you're always coming upon something that you're like, what is this new crazy thing that I don't understand and I need to figure out what is happening or how do I get to a, from A to B and not die or whatever. You know, halfway through book two, all of a sudden there's like, what's something weird is happening and I don't know what's happening to all these people. And it's like we're already three quarters of the way through the story and this another huge surprising kind of disaster is popping up again, which just adds another layer. It's yeah. just... The arcs of the story, the layers of tension are, are just really well done. And I, I really wanted, I just guess wanted to pick your brains on how you guys layered that stuff in. It was, it's really good and, you know, good cliffhangers. And one of my favorite pieces of writing advice that I ever got was at a six week sort of intensive science fiction and fantasy writing workshop called Odyssey. And it was about the endings to stories, but it applies to all the twists and turns and sort of little reveals that happen along the way. And it's that each twist and turn should feel surprising yet inevitable. And it's this very fine line between seeding enough sort of foreshadowing and little clues and little hints that the reader is picking up on subconsciously. And that in the back of their mind, they're putting it together but you beat them to the conclusion by just like a couple pages. So they're still surprised. Got you. But they're like, oh, I should have, I should have, I should have known. I should have seen. That's yeah. what, that's totally what was going to happen. Yeah. And it's such a fine line because if you beat the characters by too much to the conclusion, then you think the characters are stupid yes. for not getting what you got. And if the characters beat you to the conclusion, 
generally you feel like slightly ripped off. Like, well, how was I supposed to know that? Writing a book is just manipulating your reader to to think what you want them to think at the time you want them to think it. <laughs> well, and I, I'm just thinking about, so at the end of book one, um, I don't want to give, I, I know we're sort of talking broad spoilers here, but I don't want to like give the big spoiler stuff away because right. if you haven't read book one, the ending, like this, the last, I don't know, 50 pages is just awesome. <laughs> It really is. And you're just, you're, it's a head scratcher and it's also going, it's WTF moments. Like that's kind of how I like, what is happening? But it's, it's, you know, looking back, you're right. Like I was, I had inklings of what maybe would happen, but it was how it ended up being presented to me was in an unexpected way, I guess is mm. what I'm saying. So I can see how that would be a fine line to walk because you want to leave the clues, but you don't want to make it too obvious. So these books are great. I love, uh, you know, book one is on a foreign planet. Book two is back on earth and crazy stuff's happening and, and in space still a little bit too. And it's just, I mean, there's so much happening that these poor characters are basically trying to prevent the end of humanity, essentially, and yeah. trusting old instincts and trying to work together and then eventually, you know, learning to rely on each other. It's it's a really great set of reads. I, I cannot recommend them highly enough. I'm a fan. I was a fan of, like I said, your old your old trilogy. And, and this one is just as captivating as a reader. So oh, thank you, thank Lauren. You. It was. Yeah, it was really great. So what are you guys working on now? Are you working on something new together? I think one of you mentioned that earlier. We yeah, are. We, we are, yeah. That's exciting. We're, um, in fact, as soon as we finish recording with you, we'll be back on the phone with each other for an outlining brainstorming session. Mm -hmm. Yep. Is it anything you can talk about or is it like completely hush-hush? I think we can talk about it. No, we can talk about it. The sale A little. Announced. Yeah. Yeah. The sale's been announced. So yeah, we can talk about it. Okay. So what can you tell us? Well, it's uh, it's called The Other Side of the Sky, okay. which funnily enough comes out of years yeah. ago, Meg and I and my husband took a road trip to the Grand Canyon and that trip ended up yielding more than we ever so could have imagined. So much, so much gold, like so like, much creative gold. And we honestly, like we were just going on holiday. Like yeah. that was, it was not intended as a research trip. Well, and we weren't course, writing books together at that point, I don't no. think. This was before no, we we'd even, fun. yeah, yeah, mm. before we'd even and thought of writing these broken stars. Exactly, but years later, the scenery of that trip turned into the planet Gaia on our Earth. So, just for that alone, you know, we the Grand Canyon scenery is basically the same canyon that they're that they're careening through when they're on the back of that stolen motorbike. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. But we were also, we were driving along and you know, the sky out there is really, really big. Mm -hmm. And my husband just sort of made a comment about how I think, you know, one horizon, there were, you know, storm clouds and on the other horizon, you know, it was looking gorgeous. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, on the other side of the sky. And, and we both just like look at, look at each other. And we're like, Ooh. yeah. And he's like chatting away and Meg and I are like, don't know what that is yet. But it's that's something. Um yeah. Zing. Yeah. And here we are, you know, got nearly a decade later and it's the title of our new series. Hmm. It's about, well, actually, do you want to, do you want to talk about what it's about, Meg? Yeah. So um, this one is, is very, I mean, all our books are, are near and dear to our hearts, but this one is, is very special to us. It's a combination of science fiction and fantasy Cool. and not really a blend. It's more like a push and pull, you know, yin and yang, black and white, fantasy meets science fiction and they're fighting kind of story. It, it's about, again, two characters from different worlds about literally, literally <laughs> about a prince who falls from a technologically advanced city in the sky 
and meets the goddess of an ancient civilization below. Oh, that sounds so cool. Yeah. And, you know, he's so sure about his science fiction and she's so sure about her magic. And the reader's not going to be sure about either of them. Oh, that's so When we're in so cool. the prince's point of view, we're going to think it's science fiction. When we're in the goddess's point of view, we're going to think it's fantasy. And the goal is to make the reader question and make the reader wonder the whole way through which, which one of them is right. Hmm. It sounds like that's going to be fun. Oh, it is. We described it to our editor as kind of, it's like characters from the 100 falling into a Miyazaki world. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, that sounds incredible. That sounds just, as a reader, that sounds like I'm going to be like, yep, that's amazing. Because obviously I'm a fan of the space stuff. <laughs> but the fantasy stuff, I mean, it's just, there's so much to play in. And you're right, everyone, I mean, writing fiction aside, everybody thinks their own point of view is truth. Is It's what Absolutely. how we see the world. So, well, And well, we inch around and, you know, that in all of our books. I mean, all of our books yeah. have two characters who are strongly entrenched in their opinions. And there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. I mean... Teenagers don't have the market cornered on thinking they know everything, but it's kind of the first time in their lives that they really do think they know everything. <laughs> and it's fun to play with characters who also think that and, and then come to change their minds and sort of learn and grow. Yeah. And so in this book, we're just like, yeah, let's let's hit that, you know, as hard as we can. Let's just come at that head on and play with that dynamic. Yeah. And I mean, I think writers, we tend to play with things that are happening around us in the world because it's our way of understanding them. And right now the world is full of people on, you know, I was about to say both, but actually on many sides of the yeah. various arguments we're all having who are absolutely sure that they know what should be done yeah. and who are absolutely sure that the people who don't agree with them are terrible, terrible humans. And I mean, for a start, not everyone in that situation can be right. And it's a strong possibility that actually no one in that situation yep. yeah. is right. And that's really the key so, is that, and this is something we come across technically in our writing a lot. You know, people ask us often what we do when we disagree about what should happen in a story. And we don't ever really disagree, but it's not because we don't have different opinions or different ideas about what should happen. It's because when we do have different ideas or we want to go in different directions, we come back and we talk about why we want to do the things we want to do. Like, what does the story benefit? Like, what gain do we get from doing things Amy's way or doing things my way? Mm. And when we have those conversations, inevitably, we don't decide on doing it her way or doing it my way. We do it a third way that kind of optimizes all of the advantages of both. Gotcha. It, it was something that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about how different we are and, and how that helps us work together. And I, I should have said it then, but... It's, I think it ties in just as well now, which is that although on one hand we are very different people and that's what helps us work together so well, I think the other thing that helps us work together is that at our core we actually share really similar values. Yeah. And, you know, those values revolve around, you know, deeply respecting each other, not just as writers or, you know, as, as craftswomen, but as people. Yeah. And, you know, because, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, I'm the latter and more outgoing and I guess – if our dynamic was different, I could probably just charge straight over the top of Meg because I'm all over me. Yeah. yeah. And that wouldn't get us a better result and neither of us would be happy, but mm -hmm. you know, in, in the, the dark version of our universe, <laughs> in, the, in the mirror version, that's what could happen. And, you know, and Meg and I have talked about this plenty of times that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in that mirror version, Meg would just become more and more resentful like, and be passive aggressive. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And instead, we both have this very, very firm, you know, the thing that matters more than anything else in the entire writing relationship is the friendship, is the yeah. other person. And if, if ever can, our writing books know, were to threaten that, we would stop writing books. Like, yeah, that's it. Full stop. Yeah. But and I think that's never happened. I mean, so. it never has. But, you know, it's as well as our differences, it's that very core similarity around our values and our respect that, you know, and, and that we want to put each other first at all times. I think that really helps us and find a way through. You know. Yeah, I think that's true of the world as well. I mean, I think mm-hmm. in general, I mean, there's that whole idea that what unites us is bigger and stronger and more important than what divides us. And I think fiction can get at that dichotomy versus unity idea more readily sometimes than truth can, just because we're not, you know, being swamped by our entrenched beliefs or our political views or you know, we're, we're coming at it through the eyes of characters. You're also like, you're just in your foundations. You're like you said, looking at each other as people, not as opinions. It's, it's the fact that there's a human in there who has, whose value is worth something too. And then that obviously folds over into your writing relationship. But yeah, I mean, God, how many of us need, need more of that in our lives? You know, good friends who question Mm -hmm. and challenge us. Um, it's funny. This is, like not off topic, but I don't know if either of you have read Susan Dennard's uh, Truth Witch. Truth Witch. You guys are yeah, very, yeah, very thread, thread sistery. It's weird. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually looking at this like, oh, yeah. I feel like I found real life thread sisters. Yeah. This is really cool. We've talked yeah, about that absolutely. before, actually. <laughs> we have. Yeah. When Meg and I were very first thinking about writing together, our big concern was like, what oh, if we had a yeah and we were at a, a worldcon which is a world science fiction convention and literary goddesses ellen kushner and delia sherman were there and they managed to both co-author and stay married to each other so mm. you know high level of achievement and commitment <laughs> and so in the bar afterwards we were kind of like can we buy you drinks and pick your brains please and they were very generous but they both said at the same time well, we don't have a lot of wisdom on this because our wisdom is just you have to care about the other person more than you care about anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you'll yeah. find it's actually very easy when you do that. Mm. And and they were right. Was, they were absolutely right. They were. Mm-hmm. Like we still, whenever we're in New York, we buy them lunch to say thank you <laughs> every time. We call them our story godmothers. But that's like, yeah, couldn't be more wonderful to hear, though, because it's I mean, I feel like, you know, like you said, this is broader than politics or differing opinions. But I, I have some good friendships who who view the world differently than me. And I mm-hmm. value them because of that, because their interests are different than mine. And I, I want to understand um, people who aren't mm-hmm. like me because, Absolutely. I, you know, I think it's limiting to be in your own bubble like that. So that's, it's really cool to hear that. And, and obviously as on the reader side, we're benefiting because you guys are writing some amazing stuff that uh, <laughs> is obviously pulling from your experiences and relationships. So that's really cool. And that sci-fi fantasy blend or black and white blend, I guess, yin and yang, as you said, is, uh, sounds really cool. And I'm, I'm excited to read that you guys, that sounds really great. Yeah. We're having so much fun, uh, exploring that. So we always play with our characters for a long time before we start writing the book. And we're just now getting started with the actual writing of the book. And we're just having so much fun. It's kind of unreal (laughs) that it's 10 years later and it's still this much fun. That's awesome to hear. 
before we log out here, I always like to ask my authors if they've read anything good lately that they recommend because um, I don't know if there's anything that's caught your eye that you've really enjoyed reading um, that you've had time to squeeze in. Oh, gosh. So much. Where to start? Oof. Can I recommend some books that are coming this year that aren't, yes. that aren't out yet? So coming soon is Circle of Shadows by Evil and Sky, mm. which I really thoroughly enjoyed. The author's also an excellent human, but that's, you know, a bonus. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is that, you know, you can enjoy a book whether or not you know the author no, or, you know, it, whatever. But it makes it cooler when you're like, I love this person too. This book is good and I like them. This is great. I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. And another one that has just come out that I fell in love with is called, and I always get the first two words back to front, but I think it is Faster, Stronger and More Beautiful by Arwen Ellis Dayton. Yes. I'm, I've chatted with her about her Traveler series. She's awesome. She is awesome. And I knew that before I read the book. But you know when you read something and then you put it down, you go, oh, oh, all those conversations and I didn't know you were a genius. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. cool, interesting. And it's, it's a science fiction book about essentially like modification of the body. And it's a series of short stories. And in each one, we jump forward and explore the outcome of what has happened in the story before. Wow. And it's just, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I just, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. And the last one I want to scream about is uh, called Last of Her Name by Jessica Curry. It's a retelling of the, the Romanoff story set in space. Oh, cool. It's a standalone. It has some of the best world building I have ever seen in my life. It is so clever. It is so intense. It is so wonderful. And I seriously recommend everyone pre-orders it and then just thanks me when it shows up at their house. <laughs> I will definitely list those. Oh, my gosh. They all sound so good. But I feel like in our perfect counterpoint, because Meg, you've been kind of going backwards recently. Like, Yeah, I recently started with a group of friends in my area who are not at all involved in, in writing or, or the YA industry. We formed a nerdy book club, and somehow I managed to talk them all into reading my one of my all-time favorite books, which is The Last Unicorn by Peter Beagle. And, uh, and so in doing that, it gave me an excuse to reread it. And, uh, you know, I reread that book you know, every few years. And it had it had been a while this time. And uh, you see something different in Peter Beagle's prose every time you come to it. Mm. And this time was no exception. In fact, I think this time was like the most intense, sort of deepest experience I had with it yet. Uh, it's just an absolutely beautiful book. And I recommend it to anyone who is interested in writing on any level, because it, it's really the book that that taught me that prose itself could be beautiful, independent of the actual meaning behind the words. Like the, the shape and the flavor and the sound of the words could could have aesthetic impact, independent of, of what they actually mean. I did not know that book was where you got that from. Because that's Meg's greatest talent. <laughs> her writing is beautiful. Like it's just mm. like, whereas I'm, my stuff clips along and lots of good actors. Okay, don't can be sell funny. yourself short, Amy. You have written <laughs> some really beautiful things. Sure, but it's not, you know, like of, of all the stuff I I do, I'm I'm the less quoted, and that's fine by me because I contribute many of other many other great things to the story. But that's true. Mm, we'll 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 argue later okay. on the podcast about that. <laughs> You're like I. Oh, <laughs> no, guys. The problem though is that like sometimes, so we'll get you know we'll be doing our copy edits or or our final pass pages and. 
the way we sort of keep it fresh and keep keep ourselves on track and excited about the book is to leave each other little encouraging notes as, as we pass these manuscripts back and forth. And I cannot count the number of times one of us has been like, oh, this sentence is so beautiful. I know we've read it so many times, but I still really love it. And then the other one is like, um, you wrote that. And then we're like, no, I didn't. And, you know, yeah. whole chunks that we have no idea in the end who wrote what. Because <laughs> you're just right. so busy blending and passing. And mm -hmm. well, and we're always tweaking and editing. So, you know, we, we could say, I guess, well, broadly, Meg writes the female points of view and I write the male. But that's a massive oversimplification. Yeah. And there are lines all through both chapters that the other one wrote. So yeah. we're not kidding when we we're not being coy when we say no. we don't know who wrote stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. Any other recommendations or, I mean, those four are pretty outstanding. So I'm happy to list. That's actually quite a lot because a lot of authors don't get a lot of reading time because they're usually writing or yeah. doing touring or whatever. So yeah, those all sound great, you guys. So no, I think that's good because I think a lot of listeners might not have read The Last Unicorn yeah. and, and should. Yeah, like it's an, an old get... book, but it's a good book. I haven't actually yeah. physically read the novel. I have the graphic novel that is incredibly beautiful that I've read. Yes, and, it is beautiful. And I obviously have seen the well, not obviously, but I have seen the the, the show, movie. the movie because I'm of that era, and mm -hmm. that was the same, same. coolest, freakiest movie ever when I was a kid, and it was it's still weird and awesome. But yeah, I would I haven't actually physically read the novel, so I may have to check that out. That's really cool, right? Well, I mean, we just we live in this world where, you know, especially because we're all on social media and we're constantly being inundated by the new stuff. And there's such a huge back catalogue that it can just be a bit like, well, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. So I'll mm -hmm. just keep reading the new stuff, which I completely understand because I feel that way myself sometimes. Yeah, but mm -hmm. I think if someone can guide you to a piece of, of older stuff and say, well, no, no, this one will be good. Trust me. It's a great way to jump in. And The Last Unicorn is one that shows up on a lot of authors' favorites list. Like, it's definitely a shared experience kind of book for especially people of, of my generation, our generation, uh, read it when they were young and had that kind of formative, oh my God, I, I want to I learn how to do this. I want to learn how to do what he's doing in this book. I'm really curious, Amy, um, do you have a book, an older book that you return to every couple of years? I do. I, mm -hmm. I reread The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper every Christmas. Oh my gosh, that's mine too! Every <laughs> mm -hmm. Christmas, mine too! Yep. <laughs> yep. That's and amazing! If, look, I mean, this, and I, it's so funny because sometimes you have people come up in your signing line at an event and they're sort of losing their composure a bit because they're really excited and so they've, they've gone red or they're crying or yeah. they're stuttering and they're so awkward about it. And I feel like saying to them every time, if you, if I ever meet Susan Cooper, <laughs> I will put you in the shade. Like there will be, <laughs> Oh, I have my edition that I bought when I was in sixth grade with my very first ever book voucher and the cover is held on with sticky tape. Yep, I still have those two. <laughs> it's a mess. That makes me laugh. And I'm just, it makes me very happy. That and Madeline Lingle are my, are my mm -hmm. two go-tos that are older authors because the wrinkle in time is, is that in the dark is rising or what got me into fantasy. Yeah. So I'm with We had you. a reading from Madeline Lingle at our wedding. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're, we're nerds. I was just like, I love that we're nerding out about these amazing older books that are just <laughs> so worthy of love. Like, and I love that I, you know, the passion, like all of us, all three of us sounded more passionate than we had the whole conversation about, <laughs> you know, the unicorns and the, you know, the rising of the dark, I guess. The thing that's, I think, most relevant for listeners of your podcast and for readers of YA to, today are that these are the books and the authors that shaped 
the authors yes. who are writing the books they're reading now. Yes. And, and, you know, I interviewed Christopher Paolini a couple of days ago about his new little book. And we were talking about that because he's usually writes these epic tomes of what are four stories long. And he's, he was talking about what a pleasure it was to write this little short story book. But we, we touched on, he's actually the one who a couple years ago told me to read Ursula Le Guin and I had never read a wizard of Earthsea. Oh, and yes. we talked about how, like, and, and I feel like Madeline and, Peter and Susan all fall in this that you can get so much more across in in a thinner book and mm -hmm. the way the writing was and the the way things were communicated it's just it got a different feel and it's just oh they're so wonderful it's just oh my gosh I'm I could just gush for hours seriously I, I'm sorry no, I feel like real. we got off tangent here but it's no I mean I'm doing a bunch of of Le Guin right now for my PhD and I can feel myself because you always do you know absorbing the way it's written yes. and I'm like this is going to show up somewhere. Hopefully not halfway yeah. through something I've written in another style, but let's see how we go. <laughs> I could not believe how much adventure happened in a book that was that tiny. Mm -hmm. Like, dude in a boat sailing around. Like, I couldn't believe it was amazing. So, yeah, I think that there is so much love to be had from these older that these older books. Like you're saying, these are where to start. So, well, wow, those are great recommendations. I'm really excited to actually get people into those. I'll make a list and check out the ones I haven't. And um, those of you listening who haven't, these are all good recommendations. So you should definitely add them to your Goodreads list. And um, yeah, check them out. But I just wanted to kind of say thanks, you guys, for being here and chatting with me. And um, wow, we've been talking almost an hour now about wow. just how awesome everything is. It'll be probably shorter on the episode. I'll cut out some stuff. But yeah, it's been a nice long chat about writing and creating opposing characters and how you guys work together is this really cool and and I I hope that um people listening who are fans of maybe fantasy and haven't read a lot of sci-fi check your books out because they read really well and they're such fun adventures and they're questy which a lot of fantasy book is too and you know unearthed and undying is like you said it's like indiana jones and tomb raider have a party in space <laughs> and crazy stuff happens man and um <laughs> that's a great yeah. we, we we have a, a lot of fun quote unquote writing. party <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm just really stoked to have you guys on here and so um for those of you listening there will be an episode next week i'm still locking down an author and i don't want to drop names because i'm not 100 percent sure if she's going to be next week but we've got a couple big names coming in and we'll have essay shocker Bordy after that the week after so we're going to have some really awesome authors coming up in the near future so thank you for listening and be sure to tune in again for the next episode next week Bye. 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 Thanks, guys. <laughs>